I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, you never you never really think about it as something. Yeah, she she brings up so many interesting questions. There's so many great stories in that book. It's just, uh, it's one of my all time favorites. Welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast, a show where we believe in the power of the written word to create positive change in your personal life, your community, and the world. I'm your host, Allison Fallon. Whether you're an aspiring author or someone who swears they're not a real writer, we're here to show you how a regular practice of writing will help you access your intuition, make an impact, and find your voice. Join me for interviews with authors, writing prompts, and stories of how even simple words change lives. Hi, writers. On today's episode of the Find Your Voice podcast, I have a special treat for you. But before we dive into the episode, you better get out your smartphone and open up your book buying app, whatever it is you use for that, or the note on your phone where you keep track of the next books that you want to read. Because I can tell you from experience that when you listen to this conversation, it's going to make you buy a handful of new books. See, I thought it might be kind of fun to start this tradition where I interview people on our staff at Find Your Voice about what they're reading, since we're all very passionate about books here at Find Your Voice. And I thought it might give you a diverse perspective of maybe some new books that you could read that you hadn't heard of before, and at the same time, give you an opportunity to get to know some of our team members. So today, we're talking to our Director of Operations, Ashley Scobie, and she's going to share with you five books that are must-reads. And trust me, when I hung up this call with her, I immediately went and purchased all five books. So I'm speaking from experience here. So get ready. You're going to love this conversation as much as I did. You're about to add some books to your need to read list. Hey, Ashley. Hello. Thanks for doing this. I'm excited to talk about some books today. I'm so excited. It's like my favorite topic. I know. We don't get to talk about books all that often. I mean, we're talking about client books all the time, but as a team, I feel like a lot of times months will go by and we won't really have talked about the books that we're loving and reading, which is one of the reasons that we wanted to do this. So I'm so excited to hear what you're reading and loving because I actually don't know what you're reading and loving. So um, I'll be learning this right along with our listeners. Do you want to just start by telling us the first book that you have been loving lately? Yeah, I'll actually give you the one that I'm reading right now. And it's called Halfway Home it's by Reuben Jonathan Miller. And it is about life after incarceration here in America. Obviously, we have an enormous incarcerated population. And we talk a lot about what happens during that time of incarceration, but we don't really think about all the ways in which incarceration actually impacts someone after their release, you know, from mm. housing policy to employment policy to, you know, parole rules and everything. I mean, it truly does affect the rest of their life and it often affects the rest of the lives of everyone around them, their friends, their family, their loved ones. So it's just this really beautiful look at, you know, the writer is both a sociologist and someone who has family who has been incarcerated before. So it comes from both a sociological perspective and from this very personal human perspective, which I really appreciate. That's so cool. Is there, is it, is it storytelling or are they more teaching you about the justice system? It's a little bit of both. There's there's a lot of personal story in there, both from the author, and then he follows a couple of people around. So he follows someone around in Chicago who has just been released from prison. He follows someone around in Detroit. He takes you through the difficulty of someone even 
getting on public transportation to go to a jobs program or something that they have to do as a condition of their parole. Yeah. But they, they don't have any money. They don't have a bus card to even get on the bus. They end up walking like eight miles to this jobs place. I mean, it's, it's absolutely incredible. So there's a lot of personal story, but there's a lot of sociological research, statistics, general teaching about the system that we have. Yeah, that's so interesting. I definitely am going to put that book on my list. I There's so much I don't know about how our justice system works. But just from working closely with you, you've done a lot of work with the Innocence Project and have recommended a couple documentaries for me and have brought to light a new perspective, I think, that I didn't definitely didn't have before. So I'll have to add this book to my list as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's like, that's part of the power of books in that it it really, you know, it helps you to see beyond your own circumstances or your own geography or your own perspective, whatever it might be, like books really do just open like a completely new world to you that you're not aware of before. It's so true. And to me, it speaks to the importance of all different kinds of voices being represented. And I know like generally as a whole, we would probably celebrate that, like, you know, representing diverse voices, but when you really peel back the layers to that, a lot of us have like unconscious beliefs that have been passed down from generations that only certain people are allowed to write books or only certain people deserve to write books. Only certain people are talented enough to write books. And part of the work we do, part of the reason I'm so passionate about this work at Find Your Voice is when you think about it, if we didn't have all kinds of voices sharing their stories and sharing their experience, we wouldn't be able to have a window into a life experience that, you know, hasn't that we don't have real life contact with. And so it's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about this work and helping, helping all kinds of people share their story. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we've talked before about the issues in the traditional publishing industry, just the, mm. the amount of, I should say the lack of diversity yeah. from every end of the spectrum. I mean, racial, gender, you know, sexual orientation, everything yeah. like, I mean, there's truly not a lot of diversity in the industry at all. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting, it, just like with anything, the money speaks. And part of the reason why there isn't as much diversity as we'd like to see in publishing is because of purchasing patterns. You know, I mean, like, I think it's something like 80% of books are purchased by women. And I can't remember all of the data around this. But I do know that, you know, a book written by a black man, for example, is less likely to be purchased than a book written by a white man. And so we have to really, I think, think about that as we're thinking through our purchasing habits and what books we're buying, which is another reason that I wanted to have this conversation with not just you, but with some with lots of different kinds of people who read different voices, because I think it's so important for us to broaden our perspective about what voices we're reading and what voices we're purchasing, especially. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that goes for minority owned bookstores too, yes. instead of just going straight to Amazon, which I am as guilty as anyone with <laughs> it's sometimes. So tempting. <laughs> I know. Yeah, we get spoiled by the quick delivery times, but I've been trying to be better about that too, ordering from local bookstores and, and like you said, black owned businesses and that sort of thing. So, yeah. okay, let's talk about book number two. Okay. So book number two is one that I know you will have a lot to say about too, but Know My Name by Chanel <sighs> Miller has <sighs> got to be on here. <laughs> Best book I've read in five years. Yeah, I like, I have to agree, especially memoir related. I mean, it is, I, I, it was just stunning from like the opening page to the very Totally. End. I mean, just completely stunning as to how good it was and just how heartbreaking it was. And I mean, you go through the full emotional spectrum with that book. Yeah. You know, what's so cool 
is you'd be hard pressed to find someone who would say, who would not say she's a great writer. Of course, she's a great writer, but her writing style is really different than what we're used to. Even her grammar and punctuation is not like a, it doesn't read the same way that a typical memoir reads. And I really love that because I like to be able to see that you can break some of those common rules, quote unquote rules of grammar and punctuation and create a cadence and a rhythm and a voice to your writing that's really different. And that still is good. It's still pleasurable to read, you know, desirable to read and it draws you in. And she is such a, well, her book is such a representation of that. She is a person as a representation of that. Yeah. And for, for anyone who has not read that book or doesn't know what it's about, Chanel Miller was, she originally was a Jane Doe in the Stanford swimmer rape case at Stanford. And I mean, to take such an awful dehumanizing experience and to turn it into something so beautiful and encouraging, you know, whether you've been in a similar situation or not, like you can find so much encouragement and inspiration from the way that she's handled everything, the way that she has taken on, you know, the role of being an advocate after this. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's really lovely to see something so ugly be turned into something so beautiful. And I, it's really difficult for people to do that. And it's even difficult for people to want to do that. I think, I mean, she could have easily walked away from that experience and never wanted to even think about it again. Nobody could have faulted her for that, but she turned it into something that I'm sure has helped thousands upon thousands of people. Yes. I mean, millions, I hope that her experience sadly is not as uncommon as we would like for it to be. I mean, the data is really staggering about how many, women and men, but women more than men experience some type of sexual violence in their lifetime. And um, the thing I thought is as a woman, it felt like such an important read to me to just feel like I'm not alone to have language put to experiences I've had or feelings that I've felt. It also, in terms of like the justice system and how these cases are handled was very eye-opening to me. I, I just had no idea. And I think in a very basic sense, I could have understood like why a victim wouldn't necessarily want to testify against their abuser, but reading it from her perspective, it made so much more sense. I mean, this, like you said, she didn't have to do that and she didn't have to write about it and she didn't have to do any of this. And yet her story, because she decided to, to, you know, to take that brave leap, it became an inspiration to so many people. But the one other thing I wanted to say is I think it's especially important for people to read the book who don't have, who don't share that type of experience. And especially, you know, I heard around the time of the case itself, I had a lot of conversations with people who were on all different sides of the issue regarding like what the punishment should be for Brock Turner. And I do get, I guess it's complicated. Like there's not just one way to see it, but I think hearing the story from your perspective, from her perspective will give you a new depth of understanding about why the injustice is is really so great. Exactly. And, you know, I think, too, there's so much power in, I mean, it's it's in the name of the book, you know, Know My Name. I mean, she was she was anonymous for so long. Mm. And I, she talks a lot about how she struggled with kind of that anonymity and feeling like she she didn't have a voice, she didn't have a platform, she didn't have any power at all. And for yeah. her to, like, take that back through writing is is just incredible and something we can probably all learn something from. Agreed. 
Yeah. Number one, that's my number one recommendation when people ask (laughs) what I've been reading. Okay. Book number three. So we will stay with the memoir track. Kind of similar, I guess, but educated by Tara Westover. Yes. Have you read this one? Well, I didn't make it all the way through. And let me just give my disclaimer that it was because I started in the beginning of 2020 or February of 2020. And then when things started to go crazy and haywire in 2020, I was like, this is too much. I can't do this right now. So Uh, put it down for a later date. But I read the first third of it or so. Yeah, it is a a particular, it's a, it's a really, it's a pretty rough read for a lot of reasons, but I think 2020, especially in a time where there was so much hoarding and panic buying and such going on, it was a little too close to home. But (laughs) so educated is about a girl who grows up in rural Idaho, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Idaho, I think. But her family are doomsday preppers, extremely religious. She is quote unquote homeschooled for basically her entire childhood. She doesn't have access to typical schooling. She doesn't have access to books for the longest time. And she's really kind of isolated from society in a way that is truly terrifying for someone growing up. And then it's basically her story of eventually making it to Oxford and she graduates with all these degrees and she takes it upon herself to become educated and to give herself the gift of education and knowledge, even though she did not grow up with that at all. And that story, I mean, it is, it's another one that's just completely stunning in the amount of detail that she includes, the amount of personal growth that had to happen Mm. on her own, basically, even though she was not exactly raised in that way, the amount that she had to do by herself and the way that she kind of clawed herself out of a really, really difficult situation was just seriously, truly inspiring to me. The mark of an incredible memoir too. When you can see the transformation of the hero in the story and you follow that arc with them and you yourself as the reader have a similar type of transformation just by reading it. That's to me the mark of a really great memoir. Yeah. Yeah. And it's again, just the power of reading. I mean, she talks about how books like truly did change her life, you know, when she began reading on her own and then finding access to books. I mean, she, she just like opened this door inside of herself and then that opened external doors within her world. And that is always, that's so powerful because I will, I will never forget, there is the scene in the book. I don't know if you, if you just read the first third, I don't know if you would have gotten to this, but she gets into college after, you know, this really extreme childhood. She's sitting in a college class. She's in some kind of a history class or something. And the professor mentions the Holocaust and she raises her hand and she asks, what does that word mean? She had no idea. Wow. What the Holocaust was, had never heard of it or anything. And the professor thought that she was just being a jerk. She's, a, you know, oh the professor thought that she was just like, you know, trying to be funny or, sure. or whatever. And she, you know, she walked out of there humiliated, obviously, that she just had no clue about anything. And to come from that, basically, to being an Oxford graduate, and she, I think she got a PhD, and she just, she went on to yeah. like great things and really wrote this incredible book, but it all started with her desire to to read and to educate herself yeah. is so powerful. You know, it's crazy to think about in the time of Google, how much we take for granted access to information. And not to say that the information is always perfectly accurate, but just for me, I, I think I can hardly imagine a time 
where I don't have access to information, information about what's going on around me. It's interesting to imagine a life in which that information is you're shielded from the information. And yet you don't have to rewind too far to find a time in our culture where people were definitely shielded from information and, and books were burned and only certain books were allowed in libraries or in schools. And uh, just is a reminder to me what a gift it is to have access. Yeah, definitely. And to be, you know, to be isolated from that is, you know, it really does change the course of your life. I think to be isolated from information, it's not something that we think about, but you know, it is, you know, to some extent it still happens at a lot of places, you know, a lot of places in this country and then in other countries too, it's still, still an issue. A hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Book number four. Book number four is What I Was Doing While You Were Breeding. <laughs> it is okay. a, it's a travel memoir about this girl who kind of bucks the trend of, you know, she was in her 20s when this whole journey started, but eventually she's in her 30s too. But basically she sees all of her friends getting married, buying houses, oh, having the 2.4 kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, going about the standard societal expectation of what we want women to do and she basically does the exact opposite of that she is uh, a sitcom writer actually she like wrote you know episodes of like that 70s show and like she she was a really successful sitcom writer and she you know would go and work for several months on whatever show she was working on and then she would just take off for the rest of the year and head to, to south america or australia or wherever she wanted to go and it's basically just it's a book that really shows you what's possible in life when you walk away from, you know, what is expected of you or what, you know, maybe even you expect of yourself and just really kind of rewrite the expectations for your own life and truly go after what, what you desire. And accept the freedom that you have to create your life to be whatever it is that you want it to be. Exactly. Yeah. And to not feel judged by society's expectations of you, especially as a woman, I think that we, we are, we live under a lot of a lot of societal expectations and to be able to buck that completely and to do something completely on your own. And, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of lessons about independence and, and doing things on your own and not waiting around for someone else. I, I obviously travel a lot myself mm-hmm. and for the longest time. And I think a lot of people do this. They, they think about a country or a place that they want to visit and they're like, well, you know, I, you know, I want to go with someone and they try to convince their friend or their partner, whoever, hey, let's go to this place or whatever. And, you know, that person doesn't want to or they can't go because of work or whatever. So you end up waiting and waiting and waiting forever for someone else to go with you when in reality, you can just go yourself. You can just you don't have to wait on anyone else to to live whatever life you want or to go wherever you want. Yes, I've done a lot of that in my life, too. And I don't know if you got this. But when I was in my 20s, I would get a lot of like, oh, this is so neat that you're doing this free spirit thing. Like, when do you think you're going to settle down and (laughs) land in one place, you know? And like you've done, I also did a lot of moving around. I wanted to like live in different cities and just figure out what I liked and where I wanted to be. And there did come a time in my life when I started to feel like I kind of want to stay in one place for a while. But it wasn't, it was just so interesting how much it made people uncomfortable that I wasn't doing what they expected me to do, like settling down in one place and finding a husband and starting a family. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think what's important in that is that I, I think people sometimes feel uncomfortable 
with someone who does something completely different because they feel that that person is then judging them for, you know, doing kind of the, the sure. cutter expectation of what a life should look like. And I don't think it's, it's either way, you know, people, what makes people happy is completely different from person to person. And 100%. just because one person goes one way and another person goes another way, doesn't mean that either are judging the other. It just means that their life paths are completely different and that's okay. We should give space to people to figure out exactly what makes them happy and to not, to not judge, you know, based off of our own expectations or our own, the way that we grew up or what we want, because it could be completely different for someone else. I'm curious about this because I actually have a different take on why people would ask that question. I'm curious what you think about this. I don't know if it's that they thought I was judging them. I actually, the way I interpreted it was that it was bringing up anxiety for them, making them realize that they didn't have to make the choices that they made. A lot Mm -hmm. of times I felt like people didn't know that they had options. And so when they saw me choosing a different option, it would sort of kick up some anxiety for them. And the fact of the matter is like, we do all have options in our lives. And when it comes down to a choice and you have two different or 20 different choices or whatever, you do have to choose one. You can't have everything all the time. So, you know, if you want to have a family as a woman, you do have to prioritize that before you reach a certain age. I guess now there's lots of different ways that you can start a family, but all of that to say, like, we do have to make choices in our lives. All of us do. And and that choice can bring some anxiety. And so I think when we see other people who are making different choices than we've made, sometimes it makes us feel like, oh no, have I made the right choices in my life? And we don't like to feel that way. And so I think that's why people are like, can't you just do the thing that everybody else is doing? Because that would make me feel more comfortable. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I think that's definitely the case. A lot of the times I, I feel like I've kind of gotten that a lot in my life. You know, I have moved, I don't know, a dozen times in the past Mm -hmm. decade. And I've lived in other countries and and travel around. And sometimes I don't have a permanent address. (laughs) My car is parked at someone else's house. I mean, it's like kind of a chaotic lifestyle. But, you know, some people look at that and to, to your point are kind of like, oh, that, that kind of looks exciting and fun. And I'm, I've got this boring house in the suburbs to quote at one of my actual friends um, who said that to me. She's like, I'm just like in this house in the burbs that looks the same as, you know, all the other houses next door. And I, you know, my idea of a vacation is going to the same beach in Florida that I've always gone to. So yeah, I, I think that totally, you know, when we see other people kind of doing things that we've always wanted to do or that we never even knew that we wanted to do, but yeah. now we kind of want to. Yeah, that can totally bring up some anxiety for people. Totally. It's good anxiety, though. It just reminds us again, it's such a good reminder that we have choices. Okay, I'm adding this book to my list as well. <laughs> Even though I'm the one do I'm the I'm on the other end. now. I'm the one doing the staying still and, and breeding, I guess, if you want to use that word. <laughs> um, okay, final book, fifth book. Okay, so this one is one that I have read like three times, which is pretty rare. I don't reread a lot of books, but it's called All the Single Ladies by Rebecca Traster. Rebecca Traster is a writer for New York Magazine. She writes a lot about politics and feminism and kind of the gamut of whatever current events are happening. But she wrote this book called All the Single Ladies about just the power of single women as a political demographic, Mm. you know, which kind of sounds boring. And to be quite honest, you have to get through the first couple of chapters because it's a lot of data and numbers and history. But once you get past that, 
it's just about the like absolute power that we as single women could have in American society because we're an enormous demographic, an enormous demographic that affects everything from welfare policy to paid parental leave to Mm. just everything runs through single women. And we don't really, we don't recognize that power very much. And basically the whole book is about how much power single women have in America as a political demographic. What did you feel like was the call to action for you? Like what, how will you live differently because of reading that book? Mm, That's a good question. One I think is intersectionality. So she talks a lot about the problems with just white feminism in particular. We have to, we have to expand our lens to include Mm. black women, to include gay women, to include poor women, to include indigenous women. There's a ton of intersectionality that needs to happen for us to actually realize that power. We can't, continue to only see feminism as something to boost white women. White we women have to, yeah. Yeah. We have to listen to other perspectives and, you know, we're, we're never going to reach being the most powerful demographic in American society as single women. If we don't also include yeah. people other than white women. Yeah, man, that's been, I've been really convicted by that lately. I think whatever feminism, uh, well, I grew up, I mean, you know, this actually, I grew up, in evangelical culture, which was really antagonistic toward feminism in general. But then in my mid to late twenties, as I kind of started to see the toxic, the toxicity of an environment that was, (laughs) that was antagonistic to feminism (laughs) and started to kind of like allow myself to adopt some more feminist beliefs. And, and just like, even I see myself in that time of my life, kind of dipping my toe in the water. And then, you know, it wasn't until my early thirties that I was even willing to call myself a feminist. But now at 37, and I know I'm late to the game in 2021, but I'm starting to see how problematic even that lens of feminism is if it doesn't broadly include other women who don't look sound to talk, who don't have the same background or experience that that I do. And so it's a slow learning process, but that sounds like another book that I need to add to my list. Yeah, it is. It's so, so good. And there's a lot of personal story interwoven in there, too. So like I said, the first couple of chapters, you really kind of have to get through. And it's a lot of history and data and that kind of thing, which is still interesting. It's really interesting to see how feminism has kind of changed over the decades. But there's a lot of personal story in there, too. And I think what this book did for me, I <laughs> I read this book after like a really terrible breakup several, several hmm. years ago. And really had to kind of relearn how to be single and how to be happy with that. And, you know, this is a book that I've just like treasured through the years. You know, I I think I read this maybe six years ago for the first time. And it really is just putting words and language and story behind. It's okay to not be married. (laughs) It's okay to not have kids, you know. The, the author didn't get married until either in her late 30s or maybe even early 40s before she ever, you know, had a partner. And for that perspective to be something that's more mainstream now and for people to not see single women as old maids or, yeah, totally. you know, whatever the, the stereotype is. And it's, it's completely okay. I feel like we okay. see singleness sometimes as like a character flaw, like a personal failure. It's like, oh, you couldn't meet someone. You couldn't find someone. <laughs> So it's so tragic to me. I wish if there's one thing I could change about if I could tell myself one thing at 20, that's what I would tell myself is go live your life. Go have the time of your life. You will find a partner someday if that's what you want to share your life with and have that companionship. But 
you know, I, I admire this about you, Ashley, and I love watching you do it, but you take life by the horns and travel where you want to go and have amazing experiences and don't, you're not waiting around to find your partner so that you can go live your life. You're living your life. And I wish I had known that at 20 and I wish more women knew that because women really can be a powerful force and are a powerful force, but we're much less powerful when we're waiting on a man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and being single is not, yeah, it's not a character flaw. And a lot, I think this is another thing about, you know, societal expectations is that we just expect everyone wants to have a partner and that's yeah. not always the case. It might be the case for certain phases of your life, but then there are other phases of your life where you really don't want to meet someone. And like, yeah. I've, you know, I've gone through years of that phase where I actively, you know, I, <laughs> Someone has, someone called me aggressively single before, aggressively <laughs> single because I like absolutely did not want a partner. I you know wanted to kind of do my own thing, and I think yeah. that's not really a perspective that a lot of people have or see or understand. So you know to have stories that you can relate to, where you know this kind of life is not even not just okay, but it's enjoyable or preferable yeah. to some people or whatever it might be. Well, and the fact of the matter is, I know this is sort of a, like maybe a depressing way to say this or think about <laughs> it, but the fact of the matter is like, we come into this world alone and we leave this world alone and we, there are going to be eras of our lives where we are on our own. Even if you are partnered or have a, a companion, that person may leave this world before you do, or they may leave you or, <laughs> I mean, like the possibilities are endless. So there's no guarantee that if you sort of like find your person and settle down that you're just never going to have to be alone. I think it's so invaluable and important for every person to learn how to really enjoy being with themselves because at the end of the day, you're who you have. So. Yeah. Yeah. How you said it is, is perfect. And you know, another piece of this book, there are so many layers to it, which is, is what I, why I love it so much, but there's so many layers. Another layer to this book is the importance of, female friendships. And it brings up a lot of interesting questions about when you go to the hospital and you, you know, don't have family nearby and you're, you're not married, who is allowed to, to come in and visit you? Who is allowed to be yeah. like your person? You know, if anybody watches Grey's Anatomy, like who's your person? Yeah. So it brings up just a lot of questions about like how we should think more critically about friendship as a legitimate official relationship in the way that we do marriage, which yeah. is a really kind of almost radical idea because we, we just don't think of it that way. Yeah. But for someone who, you know, maybe doesn't have family or is living far away from their family and they don't happen to have a partner, but they have, you know, a really strong circle of friends, maybe giving some legal benefits to those people, you know, having, yeah. having those routes avail available. So it's, it's a really interesting, that. yeah, you never, you never really think about it as something, but yeah, she, she brings up so many interesting questions. There's so many great stories in that book. It's just, uh, it's one of my all time favorites. I love it. Well, you've added five books to my reading list, <laughs> which I'm moving very slowly through my reading list these days. Thanks to an baby. Yeah. But thank you so much, Ashley, for sharing these books with us. Uh, again, you've added them to my reading list and I hope you've added them to everyone else's reading list as well. And I hope those of you listening, not only take a time to read these books that Ashley just shared with us, but also that you take time to go purchase them from a bookstore that's a local bookstore or maybe owned by a black owner or a local business that you want to support. So thanks again, Ashley. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Find Your Voice podcast. 
We hope this inspires you to pick up a pen and start finding the words that will change your life, your community, and your world. If you liked what you heard today, share with a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and if you haven't already, check out our website, findyourvoice.com. Subscribe to our Monday Motivation for free and get inspiring writing prompts in your inbox each week. Until next time, happy writing.